There's a lot of corruptions throughout the centuries, you know, like every scam you can possibly think of has been, you know, <laughs> originated in Italy. It's that bad. It could be unhealthy in the 70s, and we didn't believe it, or actually became true, like, like, Serge <laughs> <laughs> was eating five kilos of steak, red meat a day. Five kilos? kilos. Not pounds. Not pounds, that's what, 11, 11 pounds? Because right now, I believe people do not want to look like 300 pounds of muscle. You're injecting a male hormone in yeah. the female body. It's like giving you estrogen. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody talks about it. So something's going to happen, you know, whether you want that or not. I mean, that's... What did you take back in the 80s, 90s? For me to get that big, I would have to, like, triple what I was taking. So, Alex, you're from Europe, from, yes. from Italy originally. You were born there, right? Yes, Rome. But how did you end up uh, for a few years in Australia? Your parents got to Australia to do business there. Yeah, when I was three, uh, things weren't going too well with the restaurants in Italy, so they sold that and I went to Australia because uh, my dad had a sister there. And they opened a very small restaurant that grew tremendously and just became like the talk of the town in, in seven or eight years. It was like the number one Italian restaurant in a little town in Australia. Really? Yeah. Yeah. How old were you? <clears throat> when I left you... when I was three, went back to Italy when uh, I was 12. So how, how is Australia? Mm. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Because I of had... nature, because of people? Or just everything. I had the best childhood. Just uh, in the 70s in Australia, it was just magical because uh, my school was like a block away from the beach, you know, so we would have like science lessons on the beach, you know, looking at crustaceans. And before going to school, we played tennis. After school, we played rugby and swimming. And that was just my normal lifestyle, just walking to school, like very little crime. Um, I, I just have great memories of Australia and I love going back there. That's the 70s? Yeah, we left in 1975. Do you know what's, what situation <clears throat> is right now? Is it uh, uh, the same? I went back three, four years ago. It was, it was still great. I think it's still great. Uh, things shifted a little bit. I think with the lockdowns, there's a bit more discontent from what I hear from my friends. Yeah. Uh, I'm just dying to go back probably next year. So comparing, for example, mm -hmm. the, the Australia and the California, because California has the beautiful uh, nature yeah. as well. It's similar. It's similar, right? Very. It's not different. different. When I came here, well, the big difference is going from Australia to Italy. It was like night and day, different cultures, different mentality. When I came to California, I thought, this is kind of like Australia, like uh, the way I grew up, just the way the structures of the city is, the homes, the working environment, and the people more friendly. You know, in Rome, are a bit more, you know, if I don't know you, I'm just gonna, not going to smile. I'm not going to say hi. You know, it's that kind of, kind of attitude towards you. Uh, whereas in Australia and California, people are so much friendlier. Yeah, but it's strange because, for example, uh, we used <clears throat> to think in Lithuania that people are more nice uh, in, uh, in the countries where there are a lot, a lot of sunshines and etc. So the Italy is uh, sunny as well. It has uh, a lot of uh, sea, uh, beaches and etc. So why do you think they are so mean? If they know you, they're very, very friendly and uh, they become, the friendships become very solid and very, very strong. Uh, I think they're just scared of uh, people they don't know. Just because it's an ancient culture, uh, it's just, there's a lot of corruptions throughout the centuries, you know, like every scam you can possibly think of has been, you know, from <laughs> originated in Italy. 
so people are just a little weary, you know. But once they get to know you, you know, if, if you're okay by them, you know, you can form really strong friendships. But that initial impact, like you wouldn't walk on the street in, in Italy and say hi to someone you don't know. You know, and coming here, people, you know, just say hi to me. I don't know them, but they would nod and like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Which is just very bizarre to me, you know, in the beginning. Have you figured out why only in Italy the food is so great? You can almost get in every restaurant mm -hmm. and the food will be awesome. Later in this podcast, Alex is going to tell you what supplements did he use back in the 70s, 80s and 90s. He will also tell you that those supplements taste just awful. But nowadays, when we choose supplements, we don't even think about the flavor. We just look at the label, we look at the price and the quality of the product. That's why I always stick to caged. Caged products have unbelievable ingredients. Take a look at this, for example, whey protein isolate. No whey protein concentrate, no soy, no pea protein, etc whey isolate only. Let's take a look at the ingredients list. It's whey protein isolate, natural flavor, sea salt, prohydrolase, cinnamon powder, stevia, and sucralose. That is it. And natural flavor is amazing. No synthetic BS in the whole lineup of caged products. Just go to cage.com, choose the products you need, and at the checkout, use discount code APOLLO, A-P-O-L-L-O. And you will get additional 15% off store-wide. I promise you won't be disappointed with the quality of these products. And now, back to the podcast. I really think the legislations are different in Italy. Uh, the, the way they, they grow their crops and everything else is just completely different. So everything's been organic since forever, you know. I remember in the 1970s when I came back, there was a huge scandal because some farmers were giving their cattle estrogens. And that was just like, oh my God, they're giving estrogen to the cow. Like, whereas in America, that's like a normal thing. It's all, you know, for decades it's been going on. So they just really care about the food. You know, being a poor country for many years, all you had to look forward to is just sitting down with your family, having a great meal. Even if you were poor, there was always some food. You know, you'd make it at home, you'd grow your own vegetables. So it's just part of that culture where a lot of importance is given to the quality of the food and the taste. So it really is, you know, as you know, an art form there. I also heard that um, the distance, the, the average distance between the, uh, <clears throat> the field where, the, for example, the, uh, the avocados and tomatoes are grown and uh, the table that is served the, the, uh, the food is very small comparing to other countries. I for think example, by law, US yeah. and such. by law, it's like that. Like you go to the butcher shop or the supermarket, you see a steak, you have the address of the place where really? the animal was slaughtered and the time and day that animal got killed. Like it's on the label. And it's just shocking to me that that would probably never happen here in America, right? Um, but you know where it's coming from and it's always very, very close. The vicinity is really close. And what is really interesting is that the food is, uh, is not as, uh, as good from, from, a, from a fitness uh, perspective. For example, the pizza, pasta, yeah. ravioli, and etc. But there are not a lot of fat people, obese people in no. Italy. Do you think that's because the products are not the GMO and, yeah. and stuff? Yeah, it has to be. There's no other explanation. I've been noticing this every time I go back. I go back once or twice a year. And uh, even though I do eat a lot of food, I go off my diet, I don't get as 
fat as yeah. I would if I was going off my diet here in America. So I think it's the processed foods, a lot of the, um, um, the chemicals like the coloring agents uh, and the sweeteners and things like that, they're not allowed in, in Italy and most of Europe too. Uh, so I think it's the, the source and the quality of the calories that you're eating, you know. What's your favorite place in Italy? Um, well, I, I like Rome because I'm from Rome, but I love Florence because it's like an open air museum. You know, you just walk around, just like, just the Huge. art. Yeah, just, mm -hmm. if, if you love art, you know, Florence and Venice, I really like. Yeah. When I first got to, the, to Venice, <clears throat> I first got to the uh, Venice in California. Yeah. Then I got to Italy. <laughs> and they are really alike. Yeah, the canals, they try the to canals, make it. Yeah, yeah, the canals. But yeah. the houses in California, Venice, is, are incredible. Yeah, very expensive. Very expensive. And comparing, for example, the, uh, <clears throat> the real estate in Venice and the whole atmosphere in Venice and the, in the canals, they differ. Because in, in Venice right now, you can, in, in California, yeah. a lot of uh, uh, people with <clears throat> druggies and etc., a lot of freaks. Yeah. But in the canals, it's like the other right. city. Yeah. But it's just five, ten minutes. That's true. From the other place. It's a big difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Alex, uh, first of all, I would like to thank you for one thing, because mm -hmm. I believe I, would, I could speak from, mm -hmm. uh, from millions of people. So it was you who originally introduced uh, Rich Piano to the people. Yes. Because uh, I, uh, I remember back then, I was, it was like 2000, I want to say 12, 2013. <clears throat> 12, yeah. Yeah. So I watched those videos and all the videos started with Ardente Films Presents. And when I got to the US a few weeks ago, my, my, uh, my friend, a friend of mine, Yeva, says, I know Alex Ardente. She, he's a photographer. Ardente, where, where did I hear that uh, last name? Then I got, oh, yeah. that, that's the guy. Tell me, how did you end up uh, meeting with uh, Rich? And, uh, oh, God, I, I knew Rich like maybe 15 years before that. I mean, we just went to Gold's Gym in North Hollywood and we worked out together. Um, we were both doing a lot of commercials together and a little bit parts in TV shows. So there's only a handful of us that were really going out there and doing auditions. Um, he would book a lot of commercials because, you know, good looking guy, great voice, you know, great physique. Um, so I just knew him for years and um, he was a little disappointed about the way his career was going as far as competing because he wanted to become pro, yeah. but he couldn't even make it to like the USA level. He won Mr. California, but I think he tried the USA once or twice and he just, they just the judges didn't, didn't reward his type of physique, you know, so he was a little disappointed. But back then he didn't have any tattoos or something He started like to get them and back then judges didn't like the tattoos and I told him I wouldn't get too many tattoos. When he decided, you know, I'm not going to compete anymore, that's when he just got a lot of tattoos, yeah. you know. Um, but a new company started uh, to form, it was called Mutant. Uh, it was a branch of uh, PBL up in Canada. And the marketing director uh, was looking for some, just some you know, new talent. It was a small company, they didn't have a big budget. I said, my friend Rich is great. I mean, you know, he's not a pro or anything, but he's really great on camera, great personality. Uh, a lot of people like him. And uh, they first, you know, they saw photos and said, no, he's like already like almost 40 and like, no, we don't really like the tattoos and uh, uh, we want someone who's like competing and winning shows. I'm like, well, yeah, if you have the money to sponsor Mr. Olympia, sure. But if you don't have a competitor on that level, you're better off getting an influencer. And there were no influencers at the time, yeah. but he was someone who could talk about the product and still look great on video. And on video, 
the general public doesn't know if you're Mr. Olympia or Mr. Collins. Exactly. They don't even care. They don't know what the federations are. It's just a whole different, you know, area there. Um, so I really had to insist because they kept saying, no, we don't, you know, we, we don't want them. We want a competitor who's winning shows. And finally, they took a chance. They gave him like $300 a month. And Rich didn't really need the money. But uh, I know because he was making money on commercials and personal training. Um, once we did that first video series that we shot more like a documentary style, it really took off on YouTube. And just like day by day, Instagram was just starting then. So everything happened. It was like a perfect storm. YouTube was getting big for fitness. Instagram just started, which was really getting big for fitness. Um, the brand was coming up. A new brand was selling internationally. And just like week by week, just the popularity just soared incredibly, you know. So everything happened, you know, at the right time, at the right place. So you shot four seasons. The fifth was released by you a few years ago. Yeah, we did four. And then uh, basically Rich wanted, you know, he wanted a raise. I think Mutant said, no, at this time we can't. And he said, okay, so I'm leaving. So I don't know exactly what happened. I got different sides of the story. I was just kind of neutral to the whole thing. I, I was sad that he left Mutant because we had a good thing going, you know, just the series, each series was getting more and more popular yeah. and his fame was growing tremendously. Um, so he just decided to leave and then later on he just started his own company and uh, the rest is history, as they say. Can you tell me more about Rich? How, uh, was, uh, how was he the real rich like we saw on videos? Was he acting more? Because there are a lot of rumors about him. It's hard to say, like, hmm, how can I put this? Um, in LA, an actor when he's on camera is always a little different than how he is in real life. That's just the nature of the business and you have to be that way. You know, if you're just like a regular guy who's, you know, isn't too excited throughout the day. You go on camera, do an audition, yeah. and you present that version of yourself, they're probably not gonna hire you. So you have to put on kind of an act. So he put on an act in a sense <clears throat> that he created a persona for the camera because he understood that. And that's how me and him clicked. Like a lot of bodybuilders, I would, I would shoot a lot of bodybuilders who were pro, but they were really terrible on camera. They couldn't put a sentence together. They weren't excited. The, the eye contact wasn't there. They'd look at the ground all the time and they'd mumble words. And whereas he was like, he was used to the, you know, the Hollywood kind of acting for camera. So when I put him in that bodybuilding environment with his background with acting, it just clicked. So he did have a persona in front of the camera. Um, but it, he's, it wasn't fake or anything. We just, um, the subject matter of a lot of the episodes was constructed or planned beforehand. Like, you know, two or three days before, we just sit on the phone for hours and talk about what kind of uh, subject matters would be interesting. You know, there's this technique, let's talk about that. He'd say, like, I, I really want to talk about, you know, competing and this and that, and, uh, or just other things that are outside of bodybuilding. So we'd come up with a game plan before going to shoot, you know. So it wasn't really scripted, but we discussed, you know, the episodes at length before shooting. So it's yeah. almost five years since he's gone. Do you remember the day yeah. you got a call? Wait, how did you know that yeah, he's gone? It was horrible. Gone? Just that he ended up in, in the hospital. And I got a lot of flashbacks of me telling him, you know, you shouldn't just really be this heavy at this point. Why are you this big if you're not doing the USAs anymore? Because his next goal was to compete in the USA, having won the California. So when he decided to not compete, 
you don't really need to be that big to look good on camera. You know, his shoulders are still wide. So even if he loses a lot of muscle, he's still going to look great on camera. So I would tell him just, you know, reduce a bit of the water retention because he had a lot of difficulty breathing. Like when we drive around, um, I remember driving to San Diego once. It was like a three-hour drive, and the whole time it was just he was breathing very heavily. Just for driving. I was driving. He was just sitting. Just sitting. Just the way just sitting now, he would breathe a lot. And I saw that in a lot of uh, the bigger pros, the very heavy guys in the offseason. I said, it's not really sustainable. You don't need to be this big for what we're doing. You know, we're having fun on camera. Actually, if you look a little smaller and more cut, yeah. you might even look better Bigger. on camera, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so he kind of agreed, but I don't think, you know, just showing up at the expos, he wanted to be the big freak because the freaks got the attention. So I think he liked being that big. So, you know, I mean, I gave him my opinion. I told him, I think you should downsize a little bit. It's just not healthy and you're getting older, you, you know, you're not 20, 20 years old anymore. So, uh, but he, he didn't want to lose the size, you know. But the official version is that uh, he had not, he didn't have a heart attack. He had uh, something with his brain, right? Something I, exploded you know in what? his head. I, like I know what you know. Uh, so I, I just know he just, he collapsed and hit his head. Um, either way, uh, his heart was very, very enlarged, um, you know, more than the regular athlete. I really can't speculate and say yeah. it'd be, you know, unfair to, to his family and other friends. Uh, it's just sad that it happened. Uh, maybe it could have been avoided. Maybe not. I mean, you know, it's, it's not nice to speculate. Spe speaking of these accidents, for the last few years, mm -hmm. the, uh, the Sean Roden? Yeah. Heart attack, right? Yeah. Cedric McMillan? Yep. Heart attack? What do you think is going on? Why? There's they're in their 40s, not even 50s. And the old school guys, 70, 80 yeah. years old, they're alive, they're good. My theory is this, back in the days, and I've, I've talked to many of the guys from that era, from Frank Zane to, to Arnold, Samir, all those guys, they all had an off season. You know, they would train like crazy those six, eight, maybe 10 weeks before our show. After that, they didn't even want to see the gym. They just ate normally and they were like almost sick of bodybuilding, you know. Yeah. So they just ate what they wanted and they, they got off the gear. Whereas now I think there's more pressure to be always relatively in shape. Because you know? of Instagram, because of uh, sponsorship and etc. You got to keep up your persona. If they don't see you online, like, oh, what happened to him? He disappeared. Where is he? And mm. if you're going to be showing yourself, you have to look good. So I think there's more pressure on the guys now, which is unfortunate. Whereas back in the day, we had magazines. Magazines came out every 30 days, you know, and they would publish photos that they shot six months, maybe a year before. Yeah. So you don't always have to be on. And, you know, guys like Arnold, Frank Zane, Colombo, they all took as many photographs as they could. At their peak level. Exactly. And that would last Joe Weider mm. a year, two years, maybe three, you know, even longer. So that was the key. They would never want to really get photographed, you know, in the off season. And uh, they just took all the photos as much as they could before the show. And that's what they use for their publicity, which is kind of smart. It gives you more longevity, yeah. you know. And those guys were never that heavy. They never reached 300 pounds. Well, no. Luferino maybe was the biggest. He was yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, no, they never got that heavy. Well, there was no concept of eating every hour or two back then it was three four maybe five meals but it wasn't con they would never walk around with tupperware and egg whites and chicken yeah. breasts and they just it no it, it just it was absurd right 
they'd go to eat, they'd eat like a horse, but an hour and a half later, later they wouldn't have another meal, you know. So that concept of constantly force feeding, I think came around in like 1985, maybe, yeah, maybe early 80s, you know, there was new science out there saying, oh, you have to force feed your, your muscles all the time, just continuously provide them with, you know, all the carbohydrates, fats, and protein to build, which worked because then, you know, the physique's got to a whole other level when you have that many nutrients always in your bloodstream, but your digestive system is always working. It's, it, it never stops. For 30 years. Yeah, so <laughs> that has to take a toll. So in a way, it's, it's similar to obesity full of heart. Maybe worse, because if you're obese and you have a huge amount of fat, the heart doesn't really have to give that much blood flow to the fat. The fat's there, it's an energy yeah, storage. Yeah. Whereas if it's pecs, muscle. if it's biceps, if it's real muscle, got nutrients have to be there. There's veins in there, there's capillaries going back and forth. So that has to be fed. So the heart is always pumping. It always has to feed that, that tissue. It's live tissue. So that's, that's an extra burden on the heart, you know. Uh, but it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day, that all, the, all these weird theories of how bodybuilding is... Uh, is it could be unhealthy in the 70s, and we didn't believe it, or actually became true. Like when, when GH first came out, it was called SDH, somatotropic hormone. Um, I remember just reading medical journals because the bodybuilding world didn't know about it yet. And, uh, some, there was a couple biologists in the gym in Italy who were studying this, like, oh, this makes you, makes you bigger, it makes you lean. Like, yeah, but look, side effects are your intestines grow because your intestines have and several internal organs have more receptors to yeah. GH. Yeah. So you don't want to take it. You know, you're better off taking an anabolic steroid with low androgenic properties than, than GH because your intestines will grow and might continue to grow even when you stop and they don't shrink. Whereas if you put on muscle mass on, on your skeleton, it'll shrink, yeah. you know, if, you when you lose, stop. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to get, you know, just big bloated intestines and you don't want that. So nobody really started using it for many years because we knew that the side effects were so severe that it wasn't really intelligent to, to use for bodybuilding. But then later on, it just caught on because it burned fat. It did add some muscle. But, you know, then we see all the, the big bellies that came out in those years. A little less now, I think. I think there's less usage now. Um, but for a while, it was really, really bad. But who was the pioneer of the GH and the insulin? The Doran Yates? The 90s? That's what do you mean by a pioneer? Uh, who was the, the pioneer who got the biggest on the stage? Because I believe before the Dorian, Lee Haney, he was not that big. The Dorian was huge. Then was uh, Ronnie, Jay Cutler. When Lee Haney Phil. was competing, I, I, I don't remember seeing a lot of GH or any pros or even amateurs talking about GH. Uh, I can't speculate on what they took. It became more popular. When did Haney stop competing? 80, 89? Late 80s, yeah, yeah. 84, he won the first one. So, yeah, late 80s, early 90s. Yes. Yeah. The Dorian it was by 93, Dorian won the first, right? Something, yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't know because I was there. <laughs> uh, the Olympians kind of blend in after a while. Um, and there's no poster child for who popularized GH. That, that would be unkind to, to pin that on anybody. But those years, that's when uh, it became more readily available and the price dropped quite a bit. So more and more people were using it. Just amateurs were using it, you know. 
um, I think that was that was a big uh, downfall for bodybuilding. You know. What do you think is worse, the GH or the insulin? Well, most of the time they took it together. You know, it was That's testosterone, GH, and insulin together gave you the most results. Uh, insulin, I remember a lot of friends who took it. Their gut just really got bigger with the GH and insulin together. That was guaranteed big belly. <laughs> it was just not a not a good combination. Um, insulin, you can die from it, you know, so uh, you have to be really, really know exactly what you're doing scientifically to not die and get results. That can happen, but what are the chances of everybody being an expert on what they're injecting? Mm. Are there guys that are still like in a coma now because they, they thought it was like testosterone. Oh, after, after my workout, I take a shot of, a, of insulin. And he, you know, one guy went and to sleep, asleep. he never woke up. Yeah. You know, it's happened just here in Los Angeles quite a few times, you know, so that's the risk that you take when you start dabbling with these things without being educated about them, you know, so. Alex, you're an old school guy. <clears throat> yes. Is that true that uh, back in the days, in the 70s, 80s, you were working out for four, three, four, five hours a day? Or is it just a myth? Surgeon Abre told me to work out like that. And I thought, I, I just can't do it. He, he did work out like that. Four hours. Yes, but this, but that's all he did. So he'd wake up in the morning, he'd eat. He would train maybe two, three hours. Then he would sleep and eat in his gym upstairs. He'd wake up, then he'd <laughs> nice. train another two hours. So he did do chest for like an hour, you know, or just back for an hour, you know, straight. Light weights, but still the volume of work was just incredible. You know? How he did too? How did well, he when you're eating and sleeping, that's all you do though. So imagine if you just worked out in the morning, then you slept for two, three hours, then you ate, then you worked out again, then you'd sleep again, then you sleep at night, another eight hours. He had the ability to just like, right now, you put him in a corner, he would fall asleep like within minutes. And my friends are like, how's this possible? <laughs> this guy's not human. Like, he, we were just talking two seconds ago, and then I gotta go to sleep now. And he closes his eyes, and he starts snoring. So either he's, he's putting on an act, but no, he was really sleeping. So my friend was like, he's got to be taking something. How can you possibly sleep? What is he, like a horse? He just, he just like sleep standing up. You know, then he'd wake up, like fresh, and uh, start working out again. You know, he, he was a machine. It was very unusual. And the opposite of that was Mike Menzer. Mike Menzer would come to our gym in Rome also. Uh, I think he came twice. And uh, he was opposite. You know, I'd ask him questions. Uh, you know, I'd tell him, yeah, Sir Jim Bray was here last month. And I'd tell him what he, and he would just, he would just shake his head. And I'd say, well, well, how much protein do you eat? Because Serge was eating five kilos of steak, red meat a day. Five kilos? Kilos. Not pounds. Not pounds, that's what, 11, 11 pounds? He did admit that five kilos may be a little too much for him. So I think he reduced it to like Just four, <laughs> four kilos is like eight, nine pounds. So it was either horse meat or, or beef. You know, Can you measure his stomach? Who? Who Surgeon Ray was this big. He is he, half the size of yours and mine. It's just like a girl's waist. It was so small. It was a machine. It was just Digesting. a freak of nature, yeah. Uh, I think maybe he didn't have any fiber with it. So not having the fiber, you don't bloat as much. It just kind of goes through you. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but Menser was opposite. He would say, uh, you know, nutrition's not important. Like, what do you mean it's not important? Like, it's not important. You know, the FDA says you should eat, you know, 60 grams of protein a day. That's what the FDA recommends. So let's eat like, you know, 
10 grams more, 70 grams. Like 70 grams is like nothing, like that, that's enough, you know? Your water's 75, your muscle's 75% water. water. Why don't you just like start, you know, drinking water? I said, well, it's a little different, you know, protein and water, you can't really compare that. So we'd have like those little discussions, um, you know, but I was 16, so I'm not gonna, you know, really confront my idol. I mean, I've, I'm talking to Mike Menser, so I had this aura of the champion. So when I was talking to Nebray or Mike Menser, I was still in awe of them. I didn't really, I could never contradict more than a certain point, you know, because for me, they were just these gods that I looked up to. You but know? that's impossible for Mike eating like 60, 70 grams. That's exactly what he was doing. Really? Yeah, because he was staying at a friend's house. Like, what did he eat? <laughs> we're like milking him for information. <clears throat> I don't know what's going on with my voice. I'm sorry. But he'd wake up in the morning. He said, well, what did he eat this morning? I said, he had a cappuccino and he had a pastry and this bran muffin he wanted. Okay, that's what, six grams of protein from the yeah. cappuccino, because it's a glass of milk, <laughs> and how much protein's in a muffin and another six, ten. Okay, so he ate 12 grams of protein. That's what he ate. Then we worked out. Uh, he wanted rice. He had a little bit of the pasta that my wife made. He had a little bit of meat, so we're talking another like 20, 30 grams. So by the end of the day, he ate 70 grams of protein. And he was there for several weeks, and he did a posing exhibition at the Mr. Italy. How is this and possible? And he looked pretty good. He was huge. How is this possible? I don't know. Uh, bodybuilding is as much as I know after 40, you know, years of in the sport. A lot of it's just how your body responds, you know, the genetics. I do think that if Mike Menster actually did eat more protein and had more protein supplements like we have now, like the isolate way and the amino acids the without adding the calories, yeah. I think he would have with his genetic potential, he would have been a lot bigger. I, I really believe that, you know, because he was almost starving himself, because he was training hard, you know. Um, so I, I think under those conditions, his body would have absorbed and could have utilized more protein, I, I, I think. So he had like three meals a day? Yeah, like a, he, he ate, he was like a normal person. And this was, I think, July, August, and the Olympia that year was 1980, was in September. So he was almost, you know, pre-Olympia. That's, pre -Olympia, you that's know? crazy. I know, right? And then you get Sir Bray, which is the opposite of the spectrum. Um, you know, to each his own. You know, you got to figure out your own body. And as we can have all these scientific theories, which are great, but, you know, uh, Serge trains so light, like your little kid could lift the same weights. But it's just constant, just like constant, constant, just like just bringing that, the blood and the muscle, just keeping it there for a long, long time. And just uh, his, he had a lot of weak parts, but his chest and shoulders were just huge and ripped. The back was just so thick, it just looked like another set of pecs. Like a turtle. Like a, yeah, like a turtle. It was just crazy, crazy, crazy. But back in the day, the guys were much smaller, much lighter. <clears throat> the, the whole physique looked like they are big. Yeah. But yeah. comparing to normal people, they were not that big. The Arnold was kind of big because he was... Uh, Tall. He was tall. He was the biggest. Him yeah. and Farina were the biggest for a Farina, long time. Farina, the, the biggest, yeah. I believe. The difference in the old school guys was they looked amazing on stage. Whereas now, the guys look great in the gym. Then they get on stage, and it's like, I don't see this big difference. Whereas back in the day, they look good in the gym. They, you know, they, they look big. But once they're on stage, they perfected their poses and their angles so much. And they knew how to peak back then more. That there was a night and day difference between them throughout the year and on the Olympia stage. That's the big difference. Now, 
they're kind of always freaky. So I don't see a big difference. You know, I can't say, oh, I can't wait to see this guy on stage. He's going to look so much better. Kind of, no, I kind of look better <laughs> on Instagram in the gym, really. So you like the golden age more than the, the modern era, right? I know I sound ancient saying that. Uh, I, I like it now, too. It's just you have to accept the evolution of something, and it can't. It can't always be the 70s, you know, like it can't always be now 2022. So things need to evolve with different, you know, different people in the sport. Um, it was more fun back then, that's for sure. Yeah, but we now get to do more the classic physique uh, look much bigger than the guys uh, yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Is the uh, Chris Bumstead, he's huge. Yeah. He's, uh, he has incredible uh, physique. Well, that's the right direction, I think. I think they're, I think the posing routine should be judged to a point, not as much as, you know, maybe the other rounds. Uh, there should be some points for presentation because that's what really separates our sport from everything else. It shouldn't be just mathematical, you know, just giving points yeah. on certain things and we add it up. Well, therefore you're the winner. No, therefore nothing. You know, I, I, if I'm judging a dive at the Olympics, one <laughs> judge might give it a 10, one might, might give it a nine depending on how he moved and how he, you know, there's a lot of different factors. That's why our sport, maybe it's not even a sport. Maybe it's just an art form with an athletic preparation. I'm fine with that. It doesn't have to be a sport. You know, we don't have to call it a sport. I think we shouldn't even call it a sport. It's a completely different thing. Whether you like it or not, you know, whether you gravitate towards it, it depends on your personality. You know, you might like powerlifting more because that's very mathematical. I lift. Yeah. One gram more than you, I'm better than you. Yeah. Whereas an art form, who's to say that the David by Michelangelo is not better than, you know, something that Da Vinci created. That's, it's, it's an art form and I, I'm okay with calling it just an art form, <laughs> you know. So you've been training like for 40 years now, right? Even more, I believe. More. I started when I was 12. I'm 48. So 46 years. Is that right? Yeah. Tell me about the, uh, the gyms in Italy back then. They were small, big. Yeah. A lot of gyms in Rome, a few of them only. When I started, there were no bodybuilding gyms, period. 1975, 76. There were martial arts gyms and gymnastica, which is just like a gymnastics kind of thing. And there was a weight room. So if you're into bodybuilding, you're in the weight room. That was our little bodybuilding gym and always in some other kind of complex. So when first gyms came out, I'd say 78 or so, just bodybuilding gyms. I was like, ah, we get our own gym, you know, and I started at home just with the, you know, the extension cables and the rubber bands and everything else. I made my own weights. So I go into a real gym with a real leg extension or a lat machine was just like, it was just heaven. You know, I mean, we would just spend hours. We, it was just such a great environment to be in. Um, what was the question? <laughs> so, I sort of reminiscing. You answered, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, you got your first uh, sponsorship with, uh, with the supplement company. Yes. And you told that the, the flavor is not good, right? Was, they told you... It was crap. <laughs> I, you know, I started when I was 12 or 13. I'd say by the time I was 15, I was such an expert on bodybuilding. I'd never met anybody uh, on the same level because I just devoured any kind of information. When I was first discovered bodybuilding magazines in 76, I started buying all the old ones from the early 70s and 60s. I had to buy every single magazine ever published from America. I spent a fortune. My parents thought I was crazy. So I read so much that in three or four years, I had so much knowledge that when I got the sponsorship, I was called Wei, W-E-I. 
And um, I had just won Mr. Italy. They sponsored me for $600, 600 lira. So that's like five, 600 bucks um, for a lifetime sponsorship. For a lifetime. I was happy to get it. Like <laughs> I just signed, I didn't read a contract. I just signed it and I got the check and I thought that was a lot of money. Uh, so I was happy. But the ingredients, were, it was just soy. And it wasn't even soy protein. You know, the difference between soy protein, this is soy flour. So basically it's just soybeans ground up and they added some vanilla and it was tasted horrible, but that's okay. We didn't care how it tasted. But I knew that soy protein is, you know, there's no methionine. It wasn't a complete protein. Yeah. I mean, any idiot. I mean, we were te <laughs> our, our teacher at school was telling us this is a complete protein. This is a non-complete protein. So everybody knew this. And these guys were selling it to bodybuilders and said, you know, we should add maybe some amino acids to make it at least complete if you want to use the soy, because I knew soy was very cheap, you know, mm. and they couldn't, you know, afford whey protein, which was barely coming out. Was it at least instant-sized? No, it's flour. If you buy soy flour, <laughs> you add some vanilla extract, that's the product that was being sold for a lot of money in the pharmacies. You know, getting in a pharmacy in Italy is a big deal. Have you seen pharmacies in Italy? No. Oh, there's marble, there's gold, it's just like they're... It, they're opulent, you know, there's real pharmacists that they're, they're like, you have to be the top of the line to be there because you're giving medical advice. Yeah. You ask a pharmacist, it's like going to one of the best doctors. These guys are really well prepared. So if you get a product in there, you know, it, it's, it should be, you know, of value. The thing. In 76, I guess it wasn't because <laughs> they were selling soy flour. <laughs> so uh, they, I, I try to word it very eloquently and very politely. They, they cancel my contract. Like, this guy's trouble. Like, no, no, we're not changing anything. And like, okay, fine. Did you get your $500? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. at least this? I was happy, yeah, yeah. And I got in the magazines, you know. So, I was already in the magazines. That's how I got the job because there was no internet, of course, you know. Um, and companies didn't really go to bodybuilding shows. So, whoever's in the magazines... That was like a catalog of, oh, let's use this guy, let's hire this guy. You know, that's how it worked. You know, if you, were in the mag if you weren't in the magazines, you didn't exist. Really? Yeah, there was no other outlet. You're not on the radio. You're not really on TV, just a little bit. You're not in the movie, so where are they going to see bodybuilders? You wouldn't go looking for them in a, in a bodybuilding gym. So you had to be in a magazine just to be relevant and have any kind of career. You just had to be in a magazine. So back in that day, people that were reading the magazines, they, they wanted to look alike the, the guys from the covers, right? Oh, sure. Because right now, I believe people do not want to look like 300 pounds of muscle. It's too extreme or it's not appealing anymore. Yeah. You know? And it's not just the pounds, it's the way your physique's put together. If you're 300 pounds and your waist is like Serge Bray and your shoulders are that wide, you know, you're going to look a lot better than someone who's just really stocky with a really wide waist. If you put so much muscle on your obliques, you know, on your lower pecs and certain, or, or your quads, just aesthetically, just the silhouette is going to be different from someone who has an X frame. Yeah. You know, there are big bodybuilders that weigh a lot, but they look great. Like Tony Freeman, you know, the X-Man, he's, you know, Flex Wheeler, if you go really look at his size, he was huge. You know, his bones are very small, but the muscle bellies, they were big and full. He just had a very small waist, very wide shoulders. So we talk about his aesthetics, but he wasn't a small guy. You know, when he was in shape, he, he, he yeah, his arms 
arms are huge, chest, yeah, but what, deltoids. What a terrible story with the flex, the things that uh, happen are, uh, are happening to him right now. Yeah, he I'm just his, talking uh, about his physique at the time, as, as far as aesthetics. You know, yeah. I'm generalizing. But uh, I believe he was—he admitted himself that he was almost the first one that used synthol. Yeah, synthol was just a really bad, bad thing to happen to to bodybuilding. And it stemmed from the usage of acycline. And acycline is, or was, an Italian pediatric steroid. I don't know if you've heard of this. Not many no. people know about it. It was a pediatric steroid that was only anabolic with zero androgenic effects. So you could take like a truckload and nothing would happen to you. You know, yeah. they give it to little kids that couldn't eat much. Oh, uh, it. it was in pill form and in uh, water-based injectable. For whatever reason, this water-based injectable, when you inject it into your muscle, it swells up. It's like a little inflammation. And it stays there. And it stays there for at least a couple days. So if you knew how to do it right in your, um, you know, only bodybuilders can discover stuff like this, right? <laughs> no doctor would like to experiment. Um, when you inject it, it forms a little lump. So if you put it on your peak of the bicep, if you don't have a peak on your bicep and you put it right in the, in the right spot, it'll cause a little bump that looks very natural for, I'd say, a day or two. After that, it swells and it just becomes inflated and looks horrible. So a lot of the pros and some top amateurs knew how to do it. So basically, you're just injecting water in the muscle and you're just filling it up. So if you do it a certain way, um, it does enhance the physique, you know. And no one's gonna notice. Very, it, if you did it right, no, it just looked like, oh, Back all then, of a sudden you have a For peak. sure, no one noticed. No, but only a few bodybuilders knew about it in, in Europe, and then it came over to America. Yeah. So the whole idea of, of localized injections was, came from acycline, you know, and that didn't last long because they took it off the market. And then some, when it, when it disappeared from the market, I think someone in the States created an oil-based, yeah. which is very different. So that lingers in your muscle. Uh, I, I think it does more damage. It's not something that just easily goes away. Acycline came from a lab, from a pharmaceutical company that was tested, and it was relatively safe you know, for that use. Um, this other stuff was just oil that somebody made, I, I don't know, maybe in the garage. Who knows? Yeah, you know, exactly. It wasn't a pharmaceutical company that created it. So... You know, it just started being abused. It wasn't just like a little bit here and there, and just people just started putting so much. I have no idea what or if Flex Wheeler, you know, did that. I, I, I believe don't, he I told know. it. He told it. He did. Yeah, he admitted. Synthol I or believe, yeah, the synthol. Okay, um, that I think damages the fibers over time, because I, I know pros that did it over and over again, certain muscles. And the scar tissue would actually like deteriorate the fibers. It's just a bad idea, period. To, but to then do. there's synthol, the natural oil. Then there's a fake synthol what's, that you don't what know do you mean what's the inside. Oil? What's the natural oil? That's not fake, I believe. The, but what's it made of? Uh, I don't remember right now, but I, I, I've heard some stories that people buy the synthol much cheaper and it's <clears> much worse than the, the original synthol. But then we got uh, the PPM, the PMM, yeah. that's e even much worse. That's idiocracy. Yeah, when that stuff came out, I was just kind of getting out of the whole bodybuilding. It was just, it was just too freakish for me. It's just, it just didn't make sense. I, I, 
you know, again, I had so much knowledge, I knew what it could do, you know. Uh, again, this is stuff that didn't come from a lab. It didn't come from a pharmaceutical company with pharmacists testing it on humans. Yeah. It was just some people making oil, people putting oil in their body. I mean, uh, I am not that educated enough on synthol to, to talk about. These are the things that uh, boys, men use. And what do women use? Do you have something, do they use uh, some steroids as well just for burning fat and staying lean to have that uh, muscle left on their bodies? We were, t- we were talking about the competitive side of, uh, of sport. Yeah, women started probably in the uh, early 80s taking some things. Uh, so I, I have to assume that today they still do, yeah. But that's terrible for a, for a woman, uh, women... Uh, You're injecting a male hormone in yeah. the female body. It's like giving you estrogen. So something's going to happen, you know, whether you want that or not. I mean, that's you're injecting male hormone or something that's male hormone based in in a female. So, well, females and males do have uh, hormones like estrogen and testosterone. Not the same balance. Not the balance. Yeah, exactly. You have a bit more testosterone than your wife that I just saw. So. Do you? Even though she has testosterone also, yeah. obviously. And you have some estrogen, yeah. of course. Because without the estrogen, I would look like... And I would well, it's feel a balance. Like you know? Like Samir said, it's all about balance. You know, he keeps saying that, and he's right. And the older I get, the more I believe Samir is right. It's, it's all about balance, whether you're talking about this stuff, uh, your posing routine, your body, your aesthetics, your training. When you have that right balance, you can accomplish great things. When something's out of whack, yeah, you're gonna fail, you know. Let's get back to your uh, to your to the early days. <clears throat> so you were in Italy. You were competing. You were working out hard. Mm-hmm. You were reading the magazines from yes. the U.S. Yeah. When was the time that you got an idea? You gotta get to the to the U.S. to L.A. Almost immediately. Yeah. When I saw Joe Eater's magazines with the guys on the beach and the girls, and I thought, that, 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 that's it. I mean, I liked Italy, but I was kind of longing for Australia, just living by the beach mm-hmm. and that kind of sunshine and warmth. I just, California seemed like a better version of Australia. And if that was the Mecca, that's where Joe Weider was, that's where Arnold was, Columbo was there, Frank Zane, all my idols were there. Um, the epitome of uh, bodybuilding was in Los Angeles, so I just, I felt that if I went there, I'd be accepted for what I'm doing. Whereas in Italy, I just was not accepted. You know, I'd have to cover up just going you in were the free? center. Did you felt that way? Yeah, the first time, my, my son just asked me this. Um, when I was 14, I was just walking down the street on, on a major street in Rome. And this little girl goes, look at this boy. Look at his muscles. I'm like... She's talking about me, the muscles, people are noticing what I'm doing. That's great. <laughs> so I was, I was kind of, I was shocked and happy at the same time. But they were so in awe of me, almost not scared, but like, you know, what kind of person is this? And then one girl says, what do you do? Like, what do you do to get this? I said, oh, I just lift weights and stuff. Like, wow, they're like so mesmerized. And I wasn't probably that big at 14. I started at 12 by 14. I was gaining rapidly, but I was still on the skinny side. But for Italy, that was unheard of. No other athlete had that kind of muscle. Um, but then as I got bigger and bigger, people just always staring, always looking, and always like... Oh, but in a bad way, right? In Italy, unfortunately, yes, yeah. 
I'd say eight times out of 10, they're like, yeah, you know, so the guys, I don't know if they felt threatened. They just, you know, you know, girls are just kind of like weirded out. Some liked it, some didn't, you know, some were like, oh, that's too much. Or at least that's what they would say to their boyfriend. So you never really knew how you would have come across. So a lot of times I would just cover up because I don't want to be bothered. I'm just going to the gym. Or I'm going to school. You know, I don't want the whole bus turning around looking at my arms. I would just try to cover up as much as possible. Whereas California, like these guys are walking around in tank tops yeah. in the supermarket. I can't walk around in a tank top in the supermarket in Italy. I mean, everybody would just like gawk and stare. You know, you'd be like this freak. Whereas California, you're accepted. Like this is like, this is like bodybuilding heaven, which I think it was at the time, you know, so uh, I had this longing to be in California, I think, for acceptance. And, and in a way that it was, it really was, because here you had like the huge, you know, uh, football players or basketball players, there, there were the whole, the whole species in America was bigger than, than the Italian yeah. race, so to speak, you know, putting it bluntly, it's just a bigger frame, you know, just like there's a big difference between like Italians and Germans. You know, the German tourists that come to Italy, we see them a mile away. They just, they just look differently, yeah. you know. And the American bodybuilders, just the American population was just a lot bigger and thicker than the skinny, short Italian guys, you know. So I wasn't as much of a freak here. You know, I just kind of blended in, which is great. So when you got to, when you were in Italy, then in Australia, you got keen on f photography, right? Yeah. You got this camera from your dad. You were making... Uh, As a little kid, yeah, yeah I just loved photos. photography. But when I started bodybuilding, all my other passions just got put aside. I started doing really bad in school. All I wanted to do was bodybuilding. I mean, I put all my eggs in one basket. That's, that's all I could think about. That's all I wanted to be, and, and I didn't want to do anything else. And I was just obsessed with bodybuilding. And that's, I found that one passion that I really loved... And I just, uh, that's all I could, you know, focus on. And what was your plan going to the U.S., competing? Uh, initially, initially, yeah, I think, I think I could have become, genetically, I could have become a, a good pro on the upper body. I just realized that my quads didn't have the genetic potential to get that big. And in those years, uh, late 80, like 86 to 88, the big quads were in vogue. Like you had DeMeo, Gaspari. Yeah. Plats are still around. Plats. Oh, like even amateur shows. <clears throat> there were guys with, you know, so-so upper bodies and huge legs. They were winning shows. Whereas in Europe, it's different. They had so-so legs and bigger upper bodies. They were winning shows. They were winning, they were winning Mr. Universe and Mr. Europe. So it's different. Like I could get my calves big. I could get my hamstrings big. My legs just couldn't. I had like the shape was exactly like Arnold. So I didn't have that big sweep. I didn't have all that muscle hanging from the knee. And that what was in vogue in America at the time. I thought, I, I, I can't do this. For me to get that big, I would have to like triple what I was taking and just dedicate myself to bodybuilding. And then what? Even if you, you know, win a pro show or even become top five after that, there's no longevity in it. So I kind of got disappointed in the whole competing thing, you know. Uh, so that's when I started photography and uh, doing commercials, you know, little little bit parts on TV at the same time. And that was a lot more fun because I could still be a bodybuilder. You yeah. know, I still trained like I was, you know, competing. I still ate cl clean and uh, I had that bodybuilding lifestyle. But, you know, you walk on a set 
you know, and I was like, oh, wow, this guy looks amazing. Whereas by bodybuilding standards, like, oh, he's got no triceps or <laughs> his upper pecs isn't as good as his lower, you know, he'd be, you know, torn apart that way. But in front of a producer or a director or a casting director, God, this guy's great. He's Mr. Italy. Yeah, let's book him. So I was doing a lot of commercials. And, you know, on camera, you find the right angle and you look, you look great, right? Um, so um, with the photography, I, I felt like I felt I, I found my calling with photography and uh, doing a little bit of acting. I, I thought that's when I was my most happiest, I feel. I feel you know. Have you ever gotten into the extreme training with your quads? I have to say I never trained my lower body as, as hard as I should have. I can admit that now, you know. Uh, I just love training chest. I love training lats. When I did lats and I got pumped, I mean, my lats got twice as big. I just looked like a, a jumbo. It just, hmm. it just, so much blood would go in there. I just loved that feeling. So as a young guy, obviously you gravitate towards that. Doing squats and quads, uh, no, I'd always get like kind of sick and it was just training legs, you know, for the hardcore bodybuilders, they know it's, it's the hardest it's thing. Squats are hard. You know, I love training calves. I love training leg biceps. I, you know, that's why my, my leg biceps were getting big and getting good. Because I just, I love that feeling of the contraction. I didn't love the contraction in the quad. Like, I don't like feeling the contraction in my triceps as much as my biceps. biceps I like all the pulling movements, like anything you can with- squeeze the muscle. Yeah, but the, like the pressing stuff, my arms are so long that it's not really conducive to being very powerful. So I loved all the pulling movements. I loved that feeling of yeah. contracting. Pushing, I didn't like to push. It's just, maybe I was more introverted as a person. Some, if you want to dig deep psychologically, maybe, maybe that's why I wasn't extroverted. So other guys were great at pushing. Like, you know, guys in my gym back in the day, they would bench press, they would press like crazy. They, but they couldn't pull. They didn't have the strength in pulling biceps or lats. They're more like, they like the pushing movements. I think it's just the morphology of your body, the way it's built, you know. Speaking of pump, so right now people are taking the AAG, <clears throat> the arginine, the citrulline, etc., just for pump, not yeah. for the energy, just but for yeah. the pump. What did you take back in the 80s, 90s? Was there an AAKG that time, the citrulline? No. I'm heavily involved in the supplement business right now, industry. So there's a lot of these myths going around that certain amino acids will just create a pump just by taking it. Amino acids. And it's BS. And if it does happen, it might happen for 15 to 30 seconds, you know. That doesn't give you a pump when you're training chest. Uh, there are certain things that give you a pump. If that's what your goal is, the important things for you to get a pump are water, how much you're hydrated. If, is there water in the blood volume? Salt. Salt with potassium. So the mineral balance, sodium, potassium is yeah. very important. And glycogen, carbohydrates. I mean, talk to any bodybuilder who's on low carb, they're not probably no not getting pumped, you know. Uh, if you're dehydrated and you took a diuretic, you're not getting much of a pump unless you start eating Snickers bars. So those three things will cause a pump. Does citrulline cause a pump? Maybe a little bit, but is it a prolonged pump that'll last your workout? Uh, you know, just taking citrulline, thinking that, oh, it's clinically dosed at six grams and this will give me a pump, whereas one gram will not. That is complete BS. Somebody send me those studies showing that six, eight, 10 grams of citrulline will, will give more blood flow to that working muscle more than 
not taking it or taking a little less. I don't think those studies exist. I'd love to read them. You know, uh, maybe I'll, I'll have a different opinion. But just taking an amino acid, thinking that's going to give you a pump, I wish that were true. I think every competitor would love to just take amino acids, step on stage and be pumped. So that's one you, psychological thing? You take the pre-workout, you think you're going to get a pump? Nitric oxide is, is real. You know, it's a gas. It does enlarge your, your veins, um, but it's temporary. Yeah, but the predecessors of uh, nitric oxide are uh, arginine, arginine and uh, citrine, right? Right. But for bodybuilding purposes, how long is your, are your vessels going to be enlarged? Mm. And when you take, say, you know, a gram of arginine or two grams, when does that enlarge your veins? Tell me what time, how many seconds afterwards, because you have to time it then. And how long is that vein going to be enlarged for how long? Uh, I, I, nobody knows this, so it's... It's a great theory. I, I take it myself. You know, it's almost like a like an insurance. You know, mm, got it. Um, it does have a lot of other benefits. But just I don't I don't think people should think that just taking a huge amount of citrulline or arginine uh, or AKG will give you a long lasting pump in the gym. You need to have water in there. You need to be very well hydrated. You need some kind of glycogen, preferably. You know, you'll still get a pump. You know, blood will still go there because the muscle's working. But ideally, you should be full of glycogen, you know, and the sodium potassium, you got to figure that out. You know, when I take potassium, I have a little bit of carbs and I drink, I'll get a massive pump. You know, that's just, it's just mechanics. Your blood volume is bigger. So you're working that muscle, you just feel a, it's a big difference. So I do take the citrulline, I do take the AKG. Um, I, I just think it's, it's irresponsible to say, you know, eight grams is the clinically you know, approved dose, dose yeah. that will guarantee you a pump. And it's just not the case. It's, it's just, it's BS, you know. And again, I'm in the industry. I, I work behind the scenes with a lot of different brands, you know. And uh, sometimes I, I try to correct them on the wording. Like, you know, you can't guarantee a pump because you, you have this amount of, of product. It helps. If it didn't help, I wouldn't take it. Trust me, I'm not going to put it. I'm 58. So what I put in my body, I just think about, you know, what's it going to do to my liver and kidneys and everything else. So I do take it. It has a lot of benefits. I do feel a little better. Maybe it's psychological. I don't know. I like taking citrulline. Uh, even arginine, though, it, you know, they say that's it's not as good as citrulline. Mm -hmm. I like taking a mixture of that in my intro workout. You know, I, I look forward to it. I like forward to taking my pre-workout, then my intro workout when I work. It's my ritual. It helps my workout. It's like a trigger. It helps me, so I will take it. Uh, it's just don't rely just on that. You know, get you know. Uh, having a good workout is more than just taking one supplement. So for the pre-workouts, if the, uh, the, the salt <clears throat> and the potassium are so important, yeah. why nobody gets potassium in the pre-workouts? Because of a kidney, kidneys and etc.? The ones I formulated all have potassium. <laughs> but, but the potassium I think it's very important. Human body needs potassium yeah. uh, twice as more as I take uh, sodium, potassium. right? Yeah, for sure. I, I wouldn't supplement oil on too much sodium. You're going to get sodium just eating in yeah. this modern world anyway, right? But potassium right? would get from the like food, like uh, sweet potato has potassium, Yeah, how many bananas. bananas. Yeah, I know, but how much? You know, I'd but rather pop that... three pills that have 300 milligrams of potassium, yeah. not in a tablet or like the capsule, knowing that, you know, I, I'm, I'm good with potassium. Potassium for bodybuilding was crucial in the 70s and 80s. Everybody talked about it. Sergeant Bray talked about it. Every competitor 
we would go to the pharmacy and get potassium tablets. Like a supplement. Oh, okay. Like a supplement, yeah. Because yeah. we knew that potassium is extremely important for the contraction. Uh, seems like no one talks about it anymore now. You know, they talk about the, the citrulline so much more. Uh, potassium is a very essential mineral for any kind of strength athlete. But sodium and potassium are responsible for the, uh, for the hydration. Yeah. If you get the wrong balance, you're going to be dehydrated. Well, the theory is potassium keeps water inside the cell yeah. and sodium on the outside. Yes. So in bodybuilding, in our bodybuilding world, it makes sense to keep the water inside the cell. So having more potassium yeah. than sodium. Sodium is abundant in our diet. It's hard to eliminate sodium. Potassium, not so much. Again, But, how many bananas are you going to eat? I'd rather yeah. take a couple pills. So the more uh, sodium you get, the more potassium you got to get, right? The more, the more sodium you intake, you get, yeah. the more potassium you should take. Absolutely. I think it's like two to one or something. Two to one, exactly. Yeah. Nobody talks about it. I don't know why. Things go in and out of style in bodybuilding and maybe in just in pop culture in general for no apparent reason. You know, potassium is super important. Look, in the bodybuilding world in Europe, we knew about vitamin D and mm. we knew that it wasn't even a vitamin. I'd say 86, 88, we were talking about it with, you know, guys that are much smarter than me who were, had like biochemistry degrees and like, yeah, vitamin D, you guys should take vitamin D. You know, they would, they would tell us like vitamin D. I don't know why it's even a vitamin. One guy said like, it, this is a hormone, you know, yes. so take the vitamin D and definitely potassium. Um, now vitamin D just popped out and became more popular after COVID, you know, but how many bodybuilders are talking about how important vitamin D is? I think it's also important in testosterone production, you know, so, Um, the bone health, the testosterone, yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah. the immune system, for men all and in women. all. Yeah, kids, yeah, for sure. So back in the day, what was the, <clears throat> the first supplement that you used and you like felt like, whoa, this is the shit? That I felt? That was the protein, not from soybeans? Not from soybeans. Protein, yeah, when I started taking protein shakes throughout the day. Because I was never a big eater, you know, I could eat a lot of carbs. I would love like cookies or pasta or lasagna. I could eat <laughs> that all day long. But the protein, just eating the steak and the eggs, and the, that was a burden for me. So when I started adding the shakes with that extra protein, that's when I really got a lot bigger. That really helped. So I'd say the, the way isolate shakes and creatine. When I started taking creatine, like in the days where you have, you know, the potassium and you have the carbs, And you drank a lot of water and had creatine. The monohydrate? Yeah. Yeah, the pumps are just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as basic as that is, it, it's, that's what I really felt. From one to 10, comparing to, uh, to the modern era of uh, <clears throat> flavors, what yeah. flavor was the one, two? Initially, there was no flavor. I mean, just uh, the original Bill flavor Phillips came out with a flavored, yeah, it was like a lemon lime. It was okay. You know, if you're really into bodybuilding, it, it's irrelevant. Care. It's irrelevant how a lot of times you just clog your nose and gulp it so you wouldn't taste it. Was it that bad? It was, yeah. I mean, we, we would have taken anything that would make us grow. <laughs> we were taking, me and my buddies were taking amino acids that were from, well, that were made for phlebotomy. Like the ones that would go down in your vein from a hospital. This guy would take them from a hospital. He would steal them <laughs> in, a, take in, Italian, in the traditional Italian way. He'd steal these cases of amino acids. He borrowed, okay? Okay. Let's assume this. No, he stole them. <laughs> And he gave them to us. He wasn't selling. He gave them to us, you know. This was a Robin Hood. I, I know. <laughs> he was. So he'd give us these uh, amino acids, which was pure uh, 
free-form amino acids, but had, I think, all 22 amino acids. It wasn't just the That's nine. perfect. It went straight in your veins. For people who were in a coma, they were dying, they couldn't eat. Yeah. You'd at least have the protein that way. So it was like the purest of the pure, but they smelled like rotten egg. It wasn't made for consumption. It wasn't made to drink. You could drink so it because they're pure. These went in the veins. It. So we were drinking. Yeah, we're not going to stick it in. Yeah, no. <laughs> so we were drinking, but it was, it was putrefied, rotten egg. So we'd just like clog our nose and go down. But you had like two, three mouthfuls. We're talking 10, 20, 30 grams of amino acids. That's a lot. That's a massive amount. And that, that really worked. Uh, so back in the day, we would, yeah, the taste was irrelevant. I don't think, I, I don't see that today. Now, you know, if the pre-workout isn't, as fruity and as sweet as you want, they'll return exactly, it because you know it's exactly like, what it is. These kids are soft. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day, did you drink coffee before the workout? Oh, sure. Espresso. Coffee, coffee, How much? And quite a bit. I'd say four or five. If you're dieting, just like all day long, just coffee, coffee, coffee. Half a gram of caffeine in the day? Oh, probably at least. Yeah, maybe eight, nine hundred. Yeah. Nine hundred. Yeah, because each espresso would have at least 70 to 80 gram, milligrams. Yeah. So coffee all day long. Yeah. So, but we were on like a meat and water or fish and water diet. So you needed all the help you can get. You know, fish and water is tough. You know, meat and water is really tough. But fish and water is just, it's, <laughs> you're dying. No but, sodium? <laughs> yeah. Just a little? No, bit. we reduced the sodium just like two, three days before. No, you wanted the sodium. You wouldn't be able to train without that sodium and potassium, without the minerals. Yeah. Just eating fish, after three or four days, you wouldn't even be able to train. It was just so hard. But we got really, really cut. You know, you'd lose too much muscle mass. It's not the best way to, to lose yeah. fat, but it, it worked. So the most dangerous, I believe, for drug is uh, diuretics right now, right? Well, anything that you can take and you can die from, I would say, yeah. It's so back pretty... in the day, did you use diuretics before the competition? We would use Lasix with potassium, always with potassium. Even the pharmacist would say, take it with potassium. So with the potassium, you know, your heart wouldn't stop, you know. Yeah. Um, we were taking very small doses, though. Uh, I mean, my mom takes like 10 milligrams a day, like all year round. And I remember taking five milligrams. I think it was five milligrams. And we were just like be depleted, like, oh my God, I'm dying, <laughs> just with no water and training. So, uh, yeah, we take potassium with it, but uh, it was pretty harsh. I hated taking it, uh, even though it gave you results, but it would be like once a year, twice a year. Yeah. But back in the day, the bodybuilders were not that cut as, uh, for example, the Dorian was or the Rani was in the 90s, in the. Oh, early no, there were cut people. In Europe? There were people who were shredded. Really? Oh, for sure. Especially at the Naba Universe. A lot of Japanese athletes, a lot of... Uh, because of their genetics? They dieted more. They, everyone was on the just meat water, just meat diet. That's mm. what they called the carnivore diet. I mean, Surgeon Bray only ate steak. I don't think he even take like... It's just like just steak all day long. Either beef or, or horse meat. But that's horrible. Zero carbs. Guys. It would get you cut. Now, the amount of anabolics it was taken to maintain that size, I can only guess. But health-wise, it was terrible, right? It, no, it can't be good for you. No, <laughs> just no not fiber, no fruits, no, no fiber, vegetables. No fruit, no, no fruits. What about the fruits? Fruit, definitely no. Did yeah. you eat fruits back in the day? We thought it would make you fat, so we cut out all the fruit. 
Yeah. So veggies and meat and fish. Pre-contest? No, the off-season. Oh, off-season, just eat as much as you want of everything. Oh, yeah. The pasta, pizzas. Everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got it. So, um, what do you like <clears throat> most uh, right now for, in the bodybuilding? Mm -hmm. The uh, the competitors, the competitiveness, because th these guys are huge. The the thing that right now we've got uh, uh, Big Ram two times Mr. Olympia, right? Yeah. So this it switched from the Phil here, the seven time Mr. Olympia. What is it like? What do you like uh, the most from the bodybuilding at this moment? Do what still, do I like about you, bodybuilding? Do you still watch the Mr. Olympia, the art yeah, class? Yeah, I still shoot it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do I like about it? The expo, because back in the day there were no expos like this. I think expos are amazing. I think expo is like where you really see the industry. The state of the art of the industry gets exposed, no pun intended, at the expo that year. You know, you go to the Arnold and you go to the Olympia Expo especially. I think the Olympia Expo is really an indication of where we're at in, mm. in the industry because you see all the new brands. You see the old brands that are still around. You see the new champions, the new fitness girls. Uh, the new type of marketing that comes out. It, you really have the, your finger on the pulse of the industry at the Mr. Olympia Expo. Um, and I, I think I, it wasn't really an expo, but I was at the 1980 Mr. Olympia when Arnold won. And there was like a mini expo. It was more a bunch of the champions sitting there with uh, their 8x10s, selling the 8x10s. And there was a few little supplement brands and vitamins, and there was an equipment brand. Um, so it wasn't really an expo, but it was an area where, you know, everybody congregated. And I thought, this is just amazing because, you know, Arnold was there, Ken Waller was there, Frank Zane, um, Colombo, Reg Park. It was just beautiful to see everybody in, in one small area. And that's the feeling I get when I see the Olympia Expo. You know, you see a lot of the champions there and the business people and the magazines. Well, there aren't many magazines anymore, but... Um, <clears throat> I think the expos are the fun part of our industry, you know, maybe more so than the contest. So speaking of uh, Frank Zane, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned you're making a film, a movie yes. about him. Yes. How old is Frank? 70? He's late 78, 70s, I 79. Yeah. yeah, I think he'll be 80 soon. He looks good. He's, he's fresh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. The movie yeah. is coming out this year or next year? I want to finish it this, this, uh, this summer now. Uh, COVID really set things back just... Uh, um, yeah, we weren't expecting COVID to delay it, you know, a year and a half. Um, but we have all the footage. I'm still editing, uh, working on the music. Um, it should be good. There's, you know, it's the only documentary that really depicts his life from when he was a little kid to, to now. You know, he, he says some pretty controversial things there. For instance, for example. I, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. uh, he, he's very open about what he thinks of people and <laughs> situations. He has his own opinion. And now it's like, he's Mr. Olympia's Frank's name. What are they going to do? He's a legend. <laughs> he's not getting canceled, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's a legend. I just, I just love talking to a guy. I just, every time I just milk him for as much information as I possibly can until he's exhausted. And uh, so he shot three times. Uh, so I, for me, as, 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 a kid who grew up with, you know, Zane and Arnold as his idols, 
Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's great. And he gave me some old Super 8 films that no one's seen before, just him hanging out with Christine. I thought, this is just great. You know, it's just, it's awesome stuff. Uh, But you know, you have to really love bodybuilding. You have to love that era to appreciate them. Because I, a lot of kids do like that era. Some kids don't. They're like, oh, he wasn't that big. Mr. Olympia, oh, this guy over here, he's bigger than, you know, these guys on Instagram are bigger than him. He's an underrated champion. Like, he won the Olympia three times against, you know, many different odds. He was up against yeah. Robbie Robinson, who was just like a genetic freak. He was freaking amazing. It's, he's it's, still a freak. He's still a freak, yeah. But at, when in the 70s, 77, 78, he was amazing, you know. So he didn't like beat nobody. He beat the best. He beat the people who showed up, Yeah. you know, three times in a row. You know, and if he didn't have the accident and Arnold didn't show up at, at the 80, I, I think he would have won for the fourth time, you know. But he was a small guy. He's... Well, he had the accident, so he lost a lot of the muscle, you yeah, know, but that year. Even when he won the Olympia, he was oh, a small I guy. I mean, to, to win Mr. Olympia, and think of the past Mr. Olympia, Serge Oliva, Arnold, you know, Colombo, even Larry Scott. These were all huge guys. So for him to win with his structure... He had to chisel that bone structure as, as much as possible just to create a perfect package and presentation that they just had to give him, you know, the title. If you'd meet him in a suit, he would, he would never say... Well, he says, like, you know, when I was dressed, man. I was like a normal guy. I mean, yeah. sometimes I'd show up at seminars, like, and I'd hear people like, this guy's Mr. Olympia? <laughs> this, this guy's Mr. Olympia? Then, like, 30 days later, you know, he'd show up and it's just like the most perfect thing you've ever seen, mm. which is what counts. Who cares if you're walking around in the suit and you don't, you know, you're not being judged at the supermarket. You know, you're not being judged at the gym. You're being judged on stage. So if you're intelligent, you put all your energy and focus on that one day. Yeah. That one day you have to be perfect. And that's what he perfected, you know. That's going to be your fourth movie, movie right? Yeah. So the first one was the driver that uh, got not canceled, but uh, it didn't uh, show up. Will it show up? No. No. They're not making it. So the 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 third one was the subs subs the movie. Well, I I consider subs to be the first. Oh, so that's the first documentary subs. What's the second? Okay. Second one was Access Muscle. Yeah. It's a series. Yeah. Uh, And the third one is now Frank Zane. Zane. What's the purpose of the subs of the movie? Because what I heard, what I saw, was the message in the, the end that the, the FDA or who is going to uh, to rule this industry, and it's going to, it's about to ruin the whole industry. Well, they've they've been trying for many years, you know. See, the issue is that a supplement is not a drug. You know, it comes in a pill form, in a tablet form, in a powder form, just like a drug. But it's not. It's a food supplement. You cannot sell uh, a supplement as a supplement if it doesn't exist in the food source already. Like, you can sell powdered creatine only because in a steak you have that creatine, you know. You can sell vitamin C in a gummy form or powder or chewable in a tablet because we already have vitamin C in an orange. So you have the choice. You can eat 40 oranges or you can take a gram of vitamin C. It's Mm -hmm. our choice, you know. So it's, they're not drugs, you know. They're not pharmaceutical. And the big difference also is that a supplement cannot have a side effect. If creatine causes depression, and you can prove that, 
Creatine is going to be off the market. It's going to be by prescription only. Yeah. You know, if vitamin C makes you grow a second head, you know, and that's a side effect, and we're not going to have vitamin C anymore. You can't, a supplement cannot have a severe side effect. Yeah, but caffeine can, if the amount is like two grams, five grams a day, one dosage, you get five grams of uh, caffeine. I believe the heart won't be happy. Right, but it, caffeine's already, it exists in nature. Yeah, that's true. You yeah. know, and you'd have to like... Tea, coffee, and such. Yeah, so you can like keep drinking as, as much as you possibly can till you overdose on caffeine. Yeah, I mean, vomit, that, I, I know that that one kid bought 500 grams of caffeine online and he died from a heart yeah. attack. A few years that's ago. the least that's going to happen. That's I'm surprised it didn't happen instantly. I mean, that's, but still, you know, uh, a food supplement has to come from Some from source. the food that we already have. You know, it's grass, G-R-A-S, generally regarded as safe already because we consume it. It's just delivered in a different form. So as and the drugs are chemicals, you get it in the lab. Right, and those have side effects, and yeah. you have to list them, you know. So what they want to do is they want to get the supplements only prescription only, right? You get to the doctor and you say, I, I don't like think they'll ever, I don't think they'll ever be successful in doing that. Uh, That's madness. Imagine you going to the doctor. It was like that in Italy, though, for a while. You could not buy vitamin C without a prescription vitamin in a C. pharmacy. We're talking even the early 80s. That's mafia like, thing, right? <laughs> That's corruption, totally. If you own the from the Ministry of Sanitation, yeah, from the Italian government, yeah, because you could have 900 milligrams uh, of vitamin C, you know, in a product, but you can't have one gram. So anything over a gram is a prescription. It, laws that make absolutely two caps. no sense. I know, right? You can't take two caps. <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever. So it's ridiculous. So um, I think it's always money behind it. You know, that's. It's such a lucrative business and there's so much consumption, you know, just North America just consumes so many supplements, not just, you know, athletes from, you know, little old ladies people, to little yeah. kids to, you know, you know, if you can't get the, the nutrition that you need from food, which is more and more the case, you know, which is impossible to you. The omega threes. Yeah. You can get enough of them. I know. And, you know, not. Not everyone likes to eat fish three, four times a week. You know, I do, but a lot of people rarely eat fish. So where are you going to get your omega-3s, which are, you know, so important to your health? So we need the supplements, and it should be our choice. You know, if I want to take a capsule or eat salmon, it's up to me. You know, it's, it's not aspirin. It's not an antidepressant. It's not a chemical made in a lab that I need a prescription for. So it should be my choice on what I want to put in my body. If it's, if it's a natural substance, you know, yeah, but at the same time, we got beer, whiskey, and etc. Yeah, that's a whole other... Yeah. You get 21 years old in the U.S., right? You can yeah. get everything you want. At 21, yeah, you can drink. In Europe, it's beer, it's 18. In Lithuania, 21 for vodka, and etc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's madness. That's what causes the depression, I the agree. suicides, I agree. all this, the shit, the DUI, oh, I, and etc. Trust me, you're, you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, how are you involved in the supplement <clears throat> industry? You're, uh, you're an investor, you're a co-founder. I just started working for so many brands back in the day. I mean, I, I worked for EAS, Metrix, MuscleTech. I mean, I shot the first photo shoot for Hydroxycut, you know, MuscleTech. Yeah. Um, when they only had one product. That's 90s, right? I think 90, what, 92 or 93, maybe 93. And I remember Bob Kennedy calling me up and said, hey, uh, 
this kid uh, who works in my store is starting a new supplement brand. I got some photo shoots for you to, to do. And uh, I remember shooting HydroxyCut, the bottle, and there were spelling mistakes on the label. <laughs> so I called them, like, dude, I'll shoot this if you want me to, but this that needs to be corrected. It was a punctuation mistake. I'm not sure exactly what it was. But um, I said, oh, that's okay, we'll fix it later. So that's how I knew it was, right? Um, so I, from the beginning, I saw really this evolution of the sports supplement you know, industry, which was dominated by Joe Weider in the beginning. He really started the whole industry as it catered to he was the bodybuilding. Industry. He created, yeah. Well, he, had, he really was a visionary. I mean, the more I think about it, he really was ahead of his time. And some people might say he was motivated by money and power and this and that. Okay, so it was Steve Jobs, but yeah. he created the iPhone. Okay, so say whatever you want to say. Exactly. That changed our life, you know. Look at the sports industry now. That's keeping the bodybuilding industry alive, really. Because there's no other influx of money in bodybuilding. For sure. It's not from the ticket sales, right? Mm. Where is this money coming from? It comes only from supplements. It's not from the equipment companies because when you buy, a gym owner buys the, you know, leg extensions and the lat machine, the last does that money decades. go back into the bodybuilding community? No, it doesn't. Yeah, and they last those, a decade. Yeah, they last forever. A good one, yeah. And those companies don't invest in the Mr. Olympia. They don't really invest in the Arnold Classic to the point uh, of a supplement company. Supplement companies really keep everything alive and healthy and, and growing, you know. So we consume the supplements. They sponsor the shows, bodybuilding grows, you know, it's, it's, that's the cycle that brings everything to life and keeps it growing, you know. So I'm a big fan, even though there are, you know, certain characters in the supplement industry that are a little crazy and we all know who they are and just kind of stay away from them. And some people look at bodybuilding as, oh, I can make money off these guys, you know. They're usually not people from the bodybuilding industry. They're not even athletes. They're entrepreneurs that think, oh, I can make this protein batter and yeah. pre-workout and fat burner. I can sell it to these meatheads and <laughs> we'll make whatever claim. And even if we get sued five years down the line, we've made our millions of dollars. So I see that a lot and that kind of bothers me. Um, but then you get reputable people that live and love this industry. Like, I don't know, like a Labrada, Lee Haney, Gaspari. Um, you know, they come from this industry, you know. And even like people who start companies, they love the fitness world. They love the gym. They work out themselves. Chris Gethin, for example. You oh, yeah. Yeah, Chris Gethin. Yeah, they're all, they all come from this world. They, they were taking supplements before they even thought of creating their own supplements, mm -hmm. right? So they have an understanding of this culture and they're respectful of the culture, you know? And they're not gonna say, you know, you're gonna gain 30 pounds of muscle by taking this chocolate shake. <laughs> they would never do that. Whether it's legal or not, it would never dawn on them. Now, they have been crazy claims, especially Joe Weider and back in the day, you know, we've seen those crazy- What you know, does he claim, for example? Oh, just claims that, you know, this is gonna turn you into a Mr. Olympia or whatever. You know, it's always insinuated that this is the reason why Arnold's winning seven times because he takes oh, Weider supplements. It. That's the 70s marketing, okay? So there is that. As you savage know. as it was. And that's, yeah. I mean, there were doctors saying, you know, cigarettes are healthy for you, and this is what I recommend. For, so. Even for pregnant women. <laughs> yeah, so it's not just bodybuilding. You know, it's not just the sports supplement industry. So there is a little bit of that. But for the most part, I see the people in the supplement industry as just motivated people that 
aren't just sitting behind the desk and counting their money and seeing how they can rip off the athlete. You know, uh, again, there are a few of those. The vast majority are, uh, you know, uh, pretty good guys that want to build, you know, a good company. And, uh, and they give back to the, to the industry. You know, they do the expos, they sponsor the shows. Um, you know, they, they do the giveaways and, and they help out. A lot of them give to charities now, you know. Um, so with all the defects that the sports industry may have, I think it's still a pretty clean business because if you compare it to, to what? The music industry, real estate, the Hollywood. politics, Hollywood, modeling. I mean, <laughs> show me an industry, religion. Sorry, but it's true. I mean, it's show me an industry that's not super corrupt. We're kind of shining, you know, compared to all these other. I know these other industries. I, I work in Hollywood. I know the music business, real estate. Look what happened in the real estate. That changed the world, right? So, um, so people who just who criticize the sports supplements as being all evil, bad, and just a bunch of, you know, con men. It just kind of irks me <laughs> a little bit. What kind of supplements do you use every day? Oh, well, I take a lot. Uh, well, I work for a lot of companies, so they give me boxes of stuff sometimes. So I'm... Yeah, but what are, what are the essentials for you? Oh, um, okay. Definitely a multivitamin and a capsule. I don't like tablets too much. I like capsules. I don't like the idea of a tablet sitting on my stomach lining. Mm. So I take more powders and capsules. Um, so amino acids for sure uh, in my intro workout. You know, I create my own concoctions. Uh, I love pre-workouts. It's just something about the pre-workout that it really does act like a trigger for me to get in the gym. You It's know? a ritual, right? I think so. It's almost irrelevant, you know, how potent it is if, if that pre-workout gets me off the couch and wanting to go to the gym. Mission accomplished. I'm in the gym. I'm having a good workout. Now I got my aminos. I'm a happy boy. You know, I just want to get my good workout. So again, going back to the, you know, the fully dosed um, pre-workouts, I'm not sure if I want, you know, the maximum of everything right before I work out. I don't think that's really necessary. Caffeine's a must because I really like the caffeine, even though theoretically it does constrict the veins. It doesn't to me. If it does, maybe it's for a short period of town, time, but it just, it just wakes my brain up, you know? So when you have uh, certain things like beta alanine, I don't like taking too much. Yeah. Like, like three grams or four or five grams. I don't know how the guys do it. My face would just yeah, like, yeah. peel off. Like 2000 milligrams is way more than I can. Yeah, you know, I just I like to feel that, even though that's not going to really give you an ergogenic effect, the, face that, the fact that your face is tingling doesn't mean you can have a better workout, yeah. right? But it just, it proves to me that it, it's working with the caffeine and the good taste. It just gets me going like, you know, sometimes when I'm like working out in the yard, you know, I like doing gardening now in my old age. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm really into it. Uh, I just take a pre-workout and I go out and I like, chop this down, do that, and I rearrange things. And, you know, it's just, again, for me, it's a trigger. You know, I don't need to have, you know, a massive amount of, um, of everything, you know, all at once. Post-workout, yes. You know, I like to have, you know, my post-workout meal with, make sure my, you know, I get my protein shakes. Do you use so, the sugars post-workout or never? Just sugar? the protein, yeah. Right now, I don't really want to get any bigger at all. If anything, I'm trying to always get as cut as possible. So I don't eat for at least two hours after my workout because mm -hmm. when you work out, whether you're doing cardio or weight training, your GH levels are really high. So I want to keep them as high as possible. You know, as soon as you have a little bit of food or sugar, no. GH goes down. 
So I'm not going to just feed it right away because I don't want to get bigger. You know, I just want to get more cut. So I want that natural GH to keep flowing in my veins as, you know, as long as possible. Mm -hmm. So for at least two hours, plus I'm doing the intermittent fasting now. So I don't eat till like five or six o'clock. I might work out from like one to two. So then at like five o'clock, that's when I start eating and I just sit down and that's the time I enjoy my food. I love cooking. You know, I was born and raised in a kitchen, so mm, I just love the food preparation. I love cooking for my kids and everybody. Um, it just, it really makes me happy. Uh, so I really enjoy my food now. So when I eat now, I feel it's, it's towards the end of the day. I can relax more. Whereas up to then, it's just like cranking phone calls, meetings, photo shoots, you know, business meetings, you know, here and there. Just a lot of focus on work. Then I work out get rid of a lot of that stress and then i eat and then i sleep and watch my tv at night so you know i'm in a nice rhythm right now that is i think is very sustainable it, it makes me happy it's given me results you know and not a day goes by that someone says hey dude yeah you're a bodybuilder or something like, what do you do and, you know, this old man yesterday in the trader joe's like he was following me around like i'm just gonna follow you around and and buy what you buy okay. <laughs> because it's working for you the guy's like 95 years old like Okay, 95. I was very, very old. He was extremely old. You should switch because he got to the 95. <laughs> I know. That's, that's what I said. I'm just going to follow you around. What do I you didn't want to say how old you are. But, but he, you know, he, he, was, he was your typical little old man, which was, I thought was so cute. So, um, yeah, you got to embrace the fitness lifestyle at a certain point and uh, just enjoy it as much as you can. But once you get in, in the fitness lifestyle, you can get out. That's it. That's the lifestyle. I tried getting out. Ages. Really? Well, yeah, when I, yeah, when I started photography, I, I did more modeling, uh, just like fashion stuff, and I was still too big, and I didn't really work out more than like maybe once a week. And after like a year of that, I just felt too normal. Like there's nothing, and I can't say there's nothing special about me because I was, you know, making money as a photographer already, and I was just getting great jobs all over the world. But just physically, Something I kind of liked being strong. Just kind of liked having more muscle than, than the regular people. I didn't want to be normal. That's why I started bodybuilding, because I was really skinny. And I just wanted to be a little different from everybody else. I didn't want to just blend in. You know, that's why I didn't really get into soccer or, or tennis and become a soccer fan, because everybody in Italy was a soccer fan. Yeah. You had to choose a team. If the one team or the other, and you had to hate all the other teams, right? And I just didn't like that. I didn't want to be part of that mass. And bodybuilding was like the most weirdest, most opposite thing of that. Uh, and so when I tried to just not do that, I felt, well, I, I like being unique. And even, even though some people might not like it, I don't care. It makes me happy. I like being strong. You know, I like being muscular and, you know, being able to run and lift. Uh, so that's when I, I said, I, I, I just need to work out for the rest of my life, you know. Alex, you've mentioned your kids. So you've got three boys. <clears throat> yes. Atticus, Atticus, August, and Ashton. Wow, you did your research. Why <laughs> those names with the A and the Atticus is a very strange name. How did you name your boys like that? Uh, I just like the double A. I don't know. I just, me and my wife just decided uh, Atticus is a great name because uh, Atticus was actually, you know who Atticus was? Um, a little bit. He's um, basically he was the right hand man of Caesar, Caesar Augustus. Um, he was called Atticus because it means the man from Athens. 
So he would go to Athens, which was the cultural mecca of the time, yeah. you know, um, and Romans dipped into the Greek culture quite a bit. So he'd go to Athens and, and come back with all this knowledge and tell Caesar. So um, he'd bring all this knowledge from Greece to the Roman Empire. So um, I just sounded like a great name. And August, you know, Caesar Augustus. Ashton, I don't know, my wife just chose Ashton. I thought, yeah, it's, it's a good name. I like it. So we went with the double A's. <laughs> Alex, the last question is, almost, is always the same in my podcast. So yeah. let's assume the, uh, the most powerful man in the world is the president of the United States. Mm. So once, once he gets to, the, to his Oval Office, office, he can get an answer to all the questions. So let's imagine you get to the office. Yeah. And the Secret Service comes at you and say, look, we know absolutely everything. Everything? Everything. Okay. Now you can ask one question and you'll get an answer to it. What would be your first question? Oh, I'd have only one question. Yeah. Where are the aliens? Really? What planet did they come from? I, I know they're around. <laughs> if you know everything, you probably know something about the UFOs and the aliens. So tell me, uh, where are these things? I just really want to know. That's the discovery of another civilization beyond our planet would change humanity like nothing else, right? It would change everything. Hopefully for the best. Hopefully it wouldn't be harvested for food, which could be a possibility, right? If you just look at history. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's the one most fascinating thing Are that I would a, ask them. Do you believe in God? I was an altar boy. Uh, my school was very, it was a Catholic school. So um, I did believe just blindly for many years. Um, I'm a little on the fence these days now, just with more knowledge. Um, the internet gives you like every book ever written in mankind, right? Yeah. Every, everything's there in some form. So the more I study the, the Roman Empire, which has been a fascination for, for years, it just seems like that at some point the Roman Empire chose this little group of Christians and made it their religion for a purpose. And I think it was politically motivated at the time. It was a perfect religion for the empire at the time because it was, they were docile. You know, if someone slaps you, you turn the other cheek. You know, if give to Caesar, what is Caesar's? Great. So they give us, you know, all the money. They're not going to rebel against us. They're okay with being poor because, you know, their priests tell them that you should be poor because a rich man's not going to get to heaven. So all these things fit into this big monstrous machine that was the Roman Empire. So I think that's, that increased the popularity of, of uh, Christianity to, in a way that if the Romans didn't adopt it, I don't know if there'd be any Christians left because there were many of these little sects all around the world, from India to China to everywhere. Yeah. But something about Christianity appealed to the Romans and the way they made that, um, that religion their official religion of the empire. And the empire was the whole world at the yes. time, really. I mean, going from, yes, norms. you know, apart from Asia and, you know, they, they reached Asia, but I mean, the Mediterranean, that's, that was the whole world at the time, you know, that, that we know of. Um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question. Um, so I, I, I'm not saying I don't believe. If it's revealed to me that God does exist and he created everything, I would say, okay, makes sense. <laughs> 
Yeah. So why I'm asking? I'm asking is because if you're a religious man, if mm-hmm. you believe in God, in Christianity, so there are no aliens. So there is there no what? There are no aliens. There are no other civilizations. So there's Earth. The God created the Earth, and that's it. Well, He created the Earth, Earth, and the heavens. Yeah. But, so if there's something else in the heavens, but people. People. Yeah. Maybe there's Not humans on another planet, though. You think so? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> You got your friends who know everything. They they need, <laughs> they need to tell us. Very good, right? Alex, it was uh, it was a blessing meeting yeah. you and uh, chatting we could, with you. We can do this, this another three hours. Really, that, that's that's yeah. uh, that's for sure. Next time you're in the states, we'll do it again. We have a deal. Thank yeah? you very much. Thank you so Thank much. You. It was a pleasure. Thank you, guys. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If so, please subscribe to my channel because this means a lot to me. You can also watch other podcasts on this YouTube channel, Apollo the Original. And please feel free to follow me on Instagram, it's Apollo the Original, and on Twitter, Apollo the Original as well. Take care, guys. See you soon.